Father, we're just so thankful for your word. Uh, we submit ourselves to the minister of the Holy Ghost tonight, and we trust that you will help us in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, last week was a very important week. Uh, we learned that faith is the protocol. It is the way that we receive from God. Uh, I hope you all got the CDs from last week. Uh, I believe they're still available if you haven't. And you need to listen to the word over and over again. You know, one of the first things the Lord said to us, I believe it was in week one, by prophecy, was the fact that in looking for the spectacular, we should not miss the supernatural. Amen. Uh, the supernatural has been happening all through Gilead. Yeah. And um, it's the supernatural you want. Amen. Because that will keep you established in the faith. In looking for the spectacular, don't miss the supernatural. And um, I want to encourage you, if you haven't already, get the CDs, listen to them over and over again. If it is the Word of God, and um, it is the Word of God, then there will be a freshness that comes every time you listen to it. Amen. Because the Spirit of God has a way of unveiling the Word to us the more we listen to it. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen. So last week we learned some very important truths. Uh, starting from Romans chapter 5 verse 2. The Bible says that by him we have access. By faith into this grace in which we stand. And rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. By faith we have access. Everyone say access. Yeah, faith is how we have access into the power of God. Faith is how we have access into everything that God has provided. God's grace, his power, has provided what we need through the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the power of God has already provided what we need. 1 Peter 2.24 says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin may live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. In the book of Isaiah chapter 53 verse 4, the Bible says, Surely he hath borne, our griefs and carried our sorrows. Surely he has borne our weaknesses, our sicknesses, and our distresses, and he has carried our sorrows. So the power of God has already provided what we need. Say with me, the power of God, power of God. has already provided what I need. Say it again, the power of God has already provided what I need. But you see, it is through faith that we access what he has provided. Amen. Now we understand that faith is always based on the evidence of what God has already done. Rather than what God is going to do. So faith doesn't look to the future. Faith always looks to the past. Because faith is based on the evidence of what God has already provided. And that evidence is the word of God. When we see it in the word of God, that God has provided it, then that matter is settled. We can look back in the confidence of faith 
and walk by faith and not by sight because we have irrefutable evidence. Amen. We have irrefutable evidence. And we can act on that evidence because that evidence is true. Now, when we say that we walk by faith or that we believe, we understand what that means. Because to believe, the word believe comes from two old English words, be and listen. Be means to exist and listen means in accordance. So to believe literally means to live in accordance with something. So if you believe, your conviction or your belief is demonstrated through your behavior. Amen. You can't believe without taking action. You can't access the power of God without believing. It is through faith that we access what God has provided. And if faith is in operation, we will take action. Because to have faith means we are living in accordance with what we believe. Amen. We saw the example of Abraham. Abraham lived in accordance to what God had said. Even though it contradicted his experience. His body was dead. He was 100 years old. Sarah's womb was dead. But the Bible says that he believed. He lived in accordance to what God has said. Romans chapter 4 verse 18 said, Who contrary to hope, in hope he believed, so that he became the father of many nations. He acted in accordance with what he believed. How did he act in accordance? He began to give glory to God. Hallelujah. He began to take action. I don't know the last time um, Abraham and Sarah had sex. The Bible doesn't record it. But you know, I believe that uh, this 100-year-old man, if he was going to be acting in line with what he believed, yeah, he would have to take action. Uh -huh, absolutely. Um, so he had to take action. Uh, part of what he did was he gave glory to God because he saw himself as the father of many nations according to what God had said. And also he had to take physical action. Amen. So the evidence of our believing is our action. And as we take action, we access because faith is what gives us access to what God has already provided. So what do you believe? And how are you acting in accordance with what you believe. If you believe you are healed, how do healed people act? How are you acting in line with what you believe? Remember, faith is the protocol. It is the way we access what he has done. Now, now look at Hebrews chapter 10 verse 35. Let us start with that tonight. You know, the Bible says in Romans chapter 4 that Abraham discovered certain things. It took him a while to put it all together. Yeah? Remember, Abraham was about 90 years old when God gave him the first promise. The promise that he was going to have a child from Sarah. And even after he got that promise, it was after he got that promise that the whole Hagar 
an Ishmael thing happened. So it took him a while to get there. Uh, because he didn't understand how to bring uh, the spiritual into the physical. It took him some time. Uh, and you know, for us as well, uh, it's like a jigsaw and we need to put it together. But thank God we will get there. Amen. And we will learn how to bring into the physical that which is ours in the realm of the spirit. So, so be patient and, uh, and, and we will get there. Now, now we're going to continue or we're going to start tonight. Uh, by looking at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. Hebrews 10. Verse 35. It says, therefore. Do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. It says, don't cast away your confidence, which has great reward. Your faith will be rewarded. That's a great place to see an amen. It says your faith, your confidence in God, your conviction on the word, and your action on God's word will be rewarded. It has great reward. But he says you have need of patience or endurance. The, the word endurance there is the Greek word hupomone. Uh, the King James translates it patience. Uh, when you check it out in the Greek, um, there are several words that are very similar. It's like patient continuance or consistency. It says you have need of consistency. You see, patience is not just waiting for God to act on your behalf. That is not what patience is. Because guess what? He has already acted. Patience is consistency. Hupomone, which is translated patience or endurance, literally means to stand against a weight. It means a lot of things are going to come against you. A lot of um, symptoms are going to come your way. A lot of things on the outside are going to look contrary to what you believe, but stand against that weight. In other words, be consistent. It says you have need of consistency. Because after you have done the will of God, you will receive the promise. The consistency of acting out what you believe. The consistency of continuing to say and believe and hold on to the evidence of God's word. You know, your faith allows the process of manifestation from the spiritual into the physical to take place. God has already given it. You have already laid hold of it in the spirit. The Bible says with the heart. Man believes unto the reality of a truth. Your heart already accepts the fact. That you know according to God's word. I am healed. I believe that. But the Bible says with the mouth. Confession is made unto salvation. 
with the mouth confession is made unto the manifestation of the thing. Hebrews says, be consistent. You believe it in your heart, now be consistent in your action. Be consistent in your declaration because that process is going to enable the manifestation from the spirit into the physical to take place. Your actions of faith bring the manifestation. You know, we looked at um, Luke chapter 17 last week, the story of the 10 lepers. Jesus said, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they took action on the word and began to go consistently to the temple, uh, their actions of faith caused them to enter into what God had already provided for them. The writer says you have need of consistency. That after you have done the will of God, you may inherit the promise. So one hindrance to the manifestation of healing in our lives is a lack of consistency. Amen. A lack of consistency. The evidence or the proof of what God has done is his word. For as long as the word doesn't change, we must maintain our consistency of action on the word. Keep acting on the word. Keep looking to the word and rejoicing because the word never changes. And act on the word. And the more you do that, the more you are allowing that manifestation of what is yours to come into the physical. We have need of consistency. Number two, you know the Bible says in Mark eleven twenty three, Jesus said, whosoever shall say to this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not do what? Doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things he says come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he says. The second hindrance to the manifestation of healing in our lives is doubt in our hearts. You know, in 2 Corinthians 4.13, the Bible says that we also, having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believe, therefore have I spoken. We also believe, and therefore we speak. We do not doubt in our hearts. Look at um, James chapter 1. I want us to read that together. Because I believe that it gives us an important lesson of how faith works. Look at James chapter 1 verse 5. James chapter 1 verse 5. It said, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all. Who does God give wisdom to? Oh, say it again. It says, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. 
He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now the question is this. It is a trick question. Does God give to the double-minded man? Now, 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 do you see that? He says that if we lack something, we shall ask of God who gives liberally. Yeah? To all and it will be given to them. So it's saying that anyone that asks, God will give. Because God gives liberally. But let that person ask in faith. Not wavering. Because when you waver, you're like the wave of the sea driven together and tossed. And let not that man think he will receive anything of the Lord. Now, he's not going to receive anything of the Lord, but it doesn't mean that the Lord is not going to give it. See what I mean? I gave it, but did he receive it? Yeah? Faith is how we what? It's how we receive. Thank you, sir. Did you see that transaction there? He gave it and I received it. Faith is how we receive. It is not a problem with the giving side. Your faith doesn't cause God to give you anything. What causes God to give you is his grace, his love. It is not because you are strong enough. It is not because you are righteous enough. It is not because you are good enough. Because if our faith could determine what God will give us, then he wouldn't have given us Jesus Christ. Because we didn't even know or care when he gave us, did we? So God gives, but he says doubt affects the receiving part of the equation. It says the person that doubts will not receive anything of the Lord. Now, now, now how long does it take to get a manifestation of that which we have received by faith look at the book of mark chapter 4 verse 26 we're talking about the hindrance of doubt doubt affects the receiving part of the equation not the giving part of the equation very important to understand that very important to understand that our problem is not with God because he has already done what he needs to do. And I'm not putting anyone under pressure here or condemnation because we're learning. All right? We're learning. That's why we have the word. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. Did he not say? And that is a great comfort to me. Yeah? Because, you know, I can be very slow to learn sometimes. But, but the Holy Spirit is not going to leave us, is he? he he's going to be patient and teach us until we get it and we will get it in Jesus name Amen. now look at Mark chapter 4 because the question often comes so, so how long does it take for the manifestation to take place Mark 4 26 and he said Jesus Jesus is the one speaking he said the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself doesn't know how. 
For the earth yields crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, after that the full grain in the head. But when the grape, the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Now, I believe that here Jesus is using um, a great example to explain the protocol of receiving from the kingdom of God. You know, fruit is like healing. Everyone here. A, a fruit is like healing. What you partake of and enjoy the taste of. What you experience. It's like a manifestation of healing. Now, now, now Jesus explains how the kingdom works. He said the kingdom is like this. A man casting seed into the ground. Now, now he explains earlier on what the seed is. The seed is the word of God. Amen. The seed is the word of God. The ground is the heart. Because he said be careful what kind of ground. It can be stony ground um, among thorns. It can be wayside. You know, it can be rocky ground. So the ground is the heart. Now it says, so when you ask, um, for instance, how long does it take to see a manifestation? That is like saying to a farmer, how long does it take for a tree or a seed to bear fruit? Do you see the, the analogy? Okay, because the fruit is like the manifestation. Is not correct. Okay. Now, um, according to this passage, God does not give the fruit. He gives the seed. God does not give the fruit. He gives what? The seed. The seed is the healing. Are you with me? I'm using the healing example because this is Gilead, his healing school. God gives the seed. He gives the healing. Now we take that healing and we put it in our hearts. Where the heart man believes. Okay? Now our heart is what brings forth the manifestation in our lives. Are you with me? Our heart brings forth the manifestation. That's why the Bible says... With the heart, one believes unto the reality of a truth, but with the mouth, confession is made unto its manifestation. You know, there are several factors that govern um, how long it takes for fruit to be produced. One is the type of seed. You know, some seeds shoot up in a week, some shoot up in a couple of weeks. Are you with me? But one thing that will guarantee that you never get any fruit is if as a farmer, you keep going to the ground where you planted the seed and taking the seed out to have a look at it. Irrespective of the type of seed you have. If you go to the patch of ground where you put the seed in and you take it out and say, is it growing today? Let me have a look. And then you put it back in the ground and cover it up. And then... Um, after a few days, you think, hmm, I wonder if it's growing. And you take it out again and have a look at it. Will it ever grow? No, it wouldn't. What the word says is leave the seed in the ground. 
Go to bed and get up. Water the seed. And the earth will bring forth of itself. First the grain, then the air, then the full corn in the air. The seed of the word is working. The seed of the word is working. Leave that seed in your heart. Are you with me? Don't doubt. You see, uprooting the seed is like saying, hmm, I wonder if this thing is working. Don't doubt the integrity of God's word. Leave that seed of the word in your heart and the manifestation will come. The evidence that you have received what you have asked for is the word. Stop looking at your body to see if you are healed yet. You are healed. The Bible says you are healed. Act on what you believe. Act on what you believe. Don't doubt the integrity of the word. That is like uprooting the seed. Whenever you're looking for evidence, go back to the word. And then rejoice because the word remains true and act on it. You know, in James chapter 2 verse 17, it says, so faith without works is dead. The Amplified puts it this way. It says, so also faith, if it does not have works or deeds and actions of obedience to back it up, by itself it is destitute of power, inoperative and dead. So faith needs to be backed by action. Don't uproot the seed of the word. The word is working. It works 24 hours a day. Why? How do I know that? Well, because it is a seed. A seed works 24 hours a day. Keep your heart and your mouth, your actions connected. You know, the spirit of faith operates in the heart and the mouth. Keep it connected. Keep seeing yourself healed according to the word. You know, if you believe that you are healed, you need to be able to quote the verse you are standing on. I should be able to say, why do you believe you are healed? What's the evidence? And it comes out, boom. Why? Because the vision in your heart needs to be created from that word. You are seeing yourself running. You are seeing yourself bending. You are seeing yourself with child. Why? What is the evidence? There needs to be a word that has formed the DNA of that creative picture on the inside of you. Keep your heart. The Bible says that we should uh, keep the word before our eyes. Let the word create a picture that is living on the inside of you. And let your mouth and your actions be connected to that. Because it is through the declaration of faith and the actions of faith that the manifestation comes. God does not give fruit. He gives seed. The fruit comes from our hearts. The fruit comes from our hearts. Now, now there are some factors. So, so doubt is the number two hindrance. Now using this analogy of uh, the kingdom and planting, there are certain things that will poison your ground. You know, it doesn't matter the quality of the seed that you plant. If the ground is poisoned, you are not going to get any harvest. Yeah, we, we know that, right? If the ground is poisoned. Now, thank God, the Bible identifies things that poison the ground. 
And once we get those out of the way, you know, it's like a connection. Anyone ever learned to drive a manual car here? There's a people that learn how to drive with automatics. I'm talking about manual. Because with a manual, with manual driving, there are certain things that must be in place. Now, when you first start learning to drive a manual, um, uh, manual car, it seems like, oh, there are so many different things. Yeah? You know, you have to put it in neutral first, start the engine, and then find the biting point. And you're thinking, define that biting point for me. They said, no, no, just start doing it. And, you know, the first time you jerk the car, it will stop, and then you jerk it again and it will stop. And then you think, you know, and then it starts moving and you can't stop it. Because there's another pedal that you're meant to press down to stop it. Anyone ever had that experience? I, I had that experience for a while. Yeah? But, but then after a period of time, you know, I'm driving the car. I have a phone on the other, uh, on, under one ear. And then I have a McDonald's in my hand. I've done this before. Now, I don't eat McDonald's anymore. So you can tell this was a long time ago. I have a McDonald's in the other one. And then I've got my knee my knee is what controls the steering. Yeah? And I'm driving away because I've got long legs. So if I move the chair forward, I can put my feet on the accelerator while still controlling the steering. Now, I was the same person that had difficulty with the coordination. Now, you might say this faith thing is just too confusing. You know, why did God make it so hard? It's actually easy when you learn. Yeah, when you learn. And he has actually done it this way so that everybody can do it. If he had said you have to go to Jerusalem, some of us may not be able to get there. Because we have no one to give us a loan. <laughs> are you with me? But it is by faith so that everybody can do it. Now there are certain things that will poison this thing from happening. Because it's not about God giving. It is about us connecting with what he has given. And being able to bring to pass what he has already given us. There are certain factors that poison our hearts. Number one is shown in Mark eleven twenty five, And these things, once we uproot them, then the heart is able to connect. Mark eleven twenty four says, What things soever you desire when you pray, believe you receive it and you shall have it. Verse 25 says, When you stand praying, forgive. Now he says, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe you receive it and you shall have it. And then he says, when you stand praying, forgive. Now, now when, is, when, when is it saying that you should forgive? The same time when you were trying to believe God for something. It's not saying believe God, you know, and then see if you can forgive the person later on. No, he's saying, listen, while you are praying, before you believe you receive it, better make sure you are forgiven. Because there's something about unforgiveness that poisons your heart. And, and stops you from being able to connect. It's about connection. It stops you from being able to connect with God, with, with, with what God has given you. This is a spiritual thing. It is a spiritual thing. He says, make sure you are in forgiveness because it will stand in the way. There are a lot of testimonies of people who have had a particular ailment. They've gone to hospitals. They've gone to doctors. And then they came to a point of revelation concerning forgiveness. And as soon as they forgave their father, their mother, their teacher, somebody that had offended them for years and they had kept that unforgiveness and bitterness in their hearts. As soon as they released them, the healing was instantaneous. Don't let anybody have power over your ability to receive from God. 
It doesn't matter what they've done. And how valid you think it is to hold them in unforgiveness. Because what we're doing is we're holding ourselves in unforgiveness. In Hebrews 12, 15, the Bible says, look carefully. Lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. That, this, that, that many become defiled. It says the, the root of bitterness will trouble you. Are you with me? If you ingest a poison, guess who gets troubled? You. And what unforgiveness does is it poisons your heart. In fact, if the devil wants you to, wants to stop you from being able to receive healing, he'll just bring someone across your path that, you will, that will offend you and um, you feel, you know, I can't forgive them. And that way he just stands in the way. Yeah? So unforgiveness is a poison of your heart and it's, it, it would, it would uh, inhibit your ability to receive from God. The next hindrance, look at um, Proverbs chapter 3 verse 7. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 7. These hindrances can be taken out of the way. We identify them. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 7. Oh, I'm in Psalms there. Okay, it says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. The opposite is also true. If you embrace evil or sin, a life of sinful behavior, it will attract sickness into your life. Because we already established that the mother of sickness is sin. Is that correct? Yeah? Either directly from the fall or um, based on the practice of sin. Yeah? Jesus actually talked about this in John chapter 5 verse 14. Look at a, a live example of this. Look at John chapter 5, verse 14. It says, after what Jesus found him, this is someone who he had just healed, uh, found him in the temple and said to him, see, you have been made well, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Lest a worse thing come upon you. So there are certain um, things that um, are attracted to a sinful pattern of life. Yeah? When you walk in sin, you won't be able to make that spiritual connection because you are living a lifestyle of sin and you haven't repented of it um, and turned away from it. Yeah? If you're in a pattern of sinful behavior, you need to stop it. You need to ask God for forgiveness, repent, turn your back from it, and, and that way you'll be able to, up, you'll be able to re remove that hindrance to receiving from God. One more verse on this. Look at Isaiah 59 verse 1. 
Isaiah 59 verse 1. Now the person that lives a pattern of sin, will God heal the person? Will God heal the person? Yeah, but the problem is what? The person will have difficulty receiving. I mean, it actually says it here. It says, behold, verse 1, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. So he's saying that your pattern of sin has created a wall between you and God. So you can't connect. Do we see that? So a pattern of sin is a hindrance. Now another uh, aspect which some people may not be aware of. Is that breaking of natural laws of diet and exercise. Will be a hindrance to receiving healing. In certain areas. Now look at the book of First Timothy chapter 4 verse 8. It says, for bodily exercise profits a little. But godliness is profitable for all things. Having promise of the life that now is. And of that which is to come. Now read the amplified version of this. The Amplified Version actually gives us more clarity on this. Okay. It says, for physical training is of some value. Useful for a little. Yeah? But godliness, spiritual training is useful and of value in everything and in every way. For it, what is that? What's the it there? Spiritual training holds the promise of the present life and also for the life that is to come. So spiritual training will affect what? The present life and the life that is to come. Value for all things. Physical training will affect what? The present life, but not the one that is to come. So healing is in which dimension? The present life or in the future life? The present life. You cannot cast out calories. Yeah? You, you, can't, you, can't, you can't bind calories. Yeah? Bodily exercise profits in this bit of the spectrum. The present life. And you'll agree with me that healing is in the present life, isn't it? Okay, so what that means is that um, you need to watch what you eat and how you eat. I'll tell you a little, little story. I can divert for like 30 seconds. The men's meeting, men's breakfast. Yeah. And you know how we have a lot of food. Now, watching the plate sizes of some of our 
<laughs> Watching the plate sizes of some of our brothers. Very worrying. Yeah? Very, very worrying. Guys, listen to me. Heart disease. Yeah? Will follow the person that eats without regulation. It is not a curse. You cannot break the laws that govern your physical life. And claim healing. It doesn't work. Yeah? It says bodily exercise. The oils, the fat, the salt intake. You are inflicting damage on your body. And it is a hindrance to receiving healing. You know, Brother Copeland talks about the fact that he began to have some alarming symptoms in his body for a long period of time. And he was praying about it and standing on the word, you know. And, um, and uh, one day he was praying in the spirit about this matter, you know. And as he was praying in the spirit, you know, he was, you know, coffee. Coffee. So he, he wondered whether the Lord was trying to tell him to reduce his coffee intake. And he said that when he stopped taking coffee for him, all symptoms disappeared. I mean, you were, both, you were all here when um, a lady was giving a testimony in church, uh, I believe it was about a year ago, um, about white rice and how she had had these symptoms for a long period of time. And she received insight into the fact that she should stop taking white rice. And instantly, the symptoms stopped. Yeah. So, so you, you, a hindrance to healing, just like we're talking about unforgiveness and all these other things, breaking natural laws of diet and exercise can impede healing. Yeah? Of course, another one is disobedience to God's will. Disobedience to God's will. Now, now we know the problem with Jonah, don't we? Where the Lord sent him somewhere and decided to go somewhere else. And the Bible says that because of the path he walked, um, there was all these things that happened and he ended up being thrown out of the, of the ship and he was swallowed by a large fish. Okay, and in there he repented and everything was okay. You know, sometimes we step out of the shadow of God's protection uh, because of our disobedience. Yeah? Disobedience to God's will. You know, the protection of God is like an umbrella on a rainy day. Yeah, it's like an umbrella on a rainy day. You stand under the umbrella and you're okay. You step out from under the umbrella and guess what's going to happen? You're going to get wet. Okay, now these are hindrances to receiving healing from God. Now I'll just mention one more thing and then we'll talk about keeping your healing and we'll break bread together. Now look at the book of Matthew chapter 18 verse 18. Very important verse of scripture. I know I'm covering a lot of ground tonight. Uh, but the CDs are going to be available, and, and please listen to them over and over again. Look at Matthew 18, verse 18 and 19. Now it says here, that assuredly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them 
by my Father in heaven. Now, um, if you read the Amplified of, of verse 18, um, we understand that it's not just saying we should just go and bind and loose things um, indiscriminately. If you look at um, verse 18 of Matthew 18, in the Amplified, it says, Truly I said to you, I tell you, whatever you forbid and declare to be improper and unlawful on earth must be what is already forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit and declare proper and lawful on earth must be what is already permitted in heaven. All right? So the word of God shows us the will of God. And once we know the will of God, we can stand our ground on the authority of the word and refuse to permit certain things. Okay? Uh, like sickness and disease. But then it says, if two of you shall agree on earth, touching anything they shall ask, it shall be done for them by my Father in heaven. Now, there are some areas that we don't have authority. Very important. Sometimes you want to stand in for a relative or a friend of yours in the office. Okay? In the realm of the spirit, there are certain people that we have authority over. For instance, as a parent, you have authority over what happens to your children. Okay? And you can stand on the word in authority over them up to a point. Now, by the time your child is 20 years old, yeah, there are certain things to, to have things happen in their lives. You need to bring them into agreement with you. Does that make sense? Because they have a will of their own and they can make their own decisions. Okay, so in the realm of the spirit, you can't just say that, okay, I stand, I, I declare this is going to happen to my son when he reaches that, that particular age because he's now uh, outside the scope of your direct authority. Does that make sense? Or it might be like your brother or your sister. Now, when they can't help themselves, you can step in and they come under the sphere of your authority. But when they can help themselves, it's more effective when they come into agreement with you. Does that make sense? And, and in those cases where maybe your, your brother or your sister has walked away from the Lord and you want, to, you, know, you want to bring them back to the Lord, you need to get into an area of intercession. Because the Bible says in the book of James, chapter 5, it says that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person makes much power available. James 5, 16. So what you are doing is you are praying for them. You are praying over their lives. And the power of God is being made available to them to make the right decisions. Yeah? Are you with me? So in the area of standing in the gap for people... Um, you, you really want to bring them to a place of agreement with you. Send them the CD, send them the word, and then begin to intercede for them. Yeah? That would be more effective than just saying, you know, I lay claim on this in the name of Jesus, like you would for yourself when you are standing in faith. Does that make sense? Yeah? But you can do that for people under your sphere of authority. Okay? Now, it's important to understand that. Okay? Good. Now, let's talk about keeping your healing. Keeping your healing. 
a lot of people lose their healing to a counterattack of the devil than to any one other single um, factor. How do I keep? When I have stood on the word and I receive a manifestation of healing in my body, how do I keep it? How do I keep it? You know, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4.18 that uh, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things that are seen are what? They are temporal. But the things which are not seen are eternal. You know, in the realm of the physical, uh, the Bible says that Satan is the God of this world. So you are in a realm where Satan can manipulate things. You're in a realm where he can manipulate things. And physical things are always changeable. And in the area of healing, what happens is that whenever anybody gets healed, Satan is going to try to get you sick again. Because he doesn't like you to be healed. Okay? So what he will do is he will come around and he will send a symptom. You know, you can't prevent a bird from flying over your head. Yeah? But it can prevent a bird from constructing a nest in the head. Do we all agree with that? You can't prevent somebody from bringing a basket of snakes to your door. They knock on your door with a basket of snakes. We have a delivery for you. You look through the hole. You see a basket of snakes. You can't prevent them from getting there unless you have a big gate. And they get to the, the uh, gate man first. But you can't prevent them from getting to the gate with the basket of snakes. But when you look through your, your camera and you see the snakes... You can prevent them from delivering the snakes into your house. So they can come to your door, but you don't have to open the door for them. Yeah? So what the devil will do, is not a prophecy, it will happen. Is whenever you receive any healing from God, you know, the Bible says that um, persecution and affliction will always arise for the sake of the word. So the devil will come around, he will send somebody, some agency of darkness, and they will come and poke you. And the poke would be a little symptom. Now when the symptom comes and you say, man, I knew Pastor Carter wasn't anointed. <laughs> I didn't get healed after all. What you are doing is you are opening the door. Because the Bible says that faith is in your heart and in your mouth. So when he comes with the symptom, all he's trying to do is to get you to agree with him. And say, come on in, Mr. Devil, with your snakes. I have loads of space for you in my house. Come and take residence. Okay? And he will get you to say something. He wants you to say something. He wants you to believe something. Because the devil can't just walk in and out of your life. He can't do it. You have to allow him in. So he will allow the symptom to come. And then when you say, oh, it looks like I did not get healed after all. You believe in your heart. You declare it with your mouth and the door is open. He comes in in full force. So the Bible says that the recipe is to resist the devil. And he will flee from us. Resist him. You resist the symptoms. You resist the imagination. That is where our spiritual warfare is. Where an image comes into your mind about what's going to happen. How you are going to live your life. And you must actively resist it. If I'm resisting something, I am pushing it away. 
You don't passively resist. It's impossible. That's an oxymoron. You can't passively resist. Because resist means that you are applying pressure in the opposite direction. You're not playing around. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. It tells us what we should do. We're talking about keeping your healing. I'd like to help us to help um, begin to distribute the elements of the bread and the cup. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Okay. It says, um, be sober, be vigilant. Because you're what? Your adversary. You have an enemy. Your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion... Seeking whom he may devour. He's not trying to have a relationship with you. He's trying to destroy you. The Bible says resist him steadfast in the faith. Knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. It says we should do what? Resist him steadfast in the faith. Now how did Jesus resist the devil? He said it is written man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God it is written worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve it is written do not tempt the Lord your God what was Satan doing he was using the word to push or what was Jesus doing he was using the word to push the symptoms away so when the symptoms come, say, it is written. He bore my infirmities and carried my disease. Get out of here. It doesn't belong to me. It is written by his stripes, I was healed. I do not accept it. Get out of here. Don't be passive about it. Resist the devil. Resist the symptoms and they will flee from you. Second principle for Keeping your healing is having your heart established in the word of God. Having your heart established in the word of God. Colossians 3.16 says, I let the word of Christ dwell richly in you in all wisdom. And number three is maintaining a lifestyle free from sin. Jesus said in John 5.14 again that keep away from a lifestyle of sin Lest something worse comes upon you. Yeah? Keeping your healing. Resist the devil. Resist the symptoms. Don't be alarmed when symptoms come on your body. Yeah? Because that can happen. All right? Um, but just push him away with the word of God. Keep your heart full of the word of God. You know, one of the best ways I have found for resisting the devil and establishing your heart in the word is through communion. And we're going to receive communion today. We're going to receive communion today. And during this time of communion, uh, I'm going to minister to certain people. Maybe you weren't here last week or you didn't really have a connection. You want me to minister to you. After we have communion, I will do that. 
But communion is a great way of establishing your heart on the word and resisting the devil. You should not take communion only when you are sick. Adopt a practice of receiving communion often. Okay? Now look at um, 1 Corinthians 11. And I'll talk to you about what to do when you receive communion. As a husband and wife or as a single person, before a meal, you can sit down, get a cup, fill it with a liquid, get some bread, and have communion. Are you with me? All right? Communion doesn't have to be served in church. Yeah? Paul was on a ship about to be shipwrecked. Go and read the book of Acts. And he told everyone to eat, and he went to sit down and have communion. Yeah? Communion does not have to be served by a pastor or a priest. Okay? Communion is something that you can do on your own. Okay? Look at 1 Corinthians 11. And when you receive communion properly, you can use it to receive healing, to establish your heart on the word, and resist the devil. Look at 1 Corinthians 11. It's one of the most powerful ordinances in the New Testament. Verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 11, Paul is saying, I received of the Lord that which I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, in, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. Bread. That's a symbol of bread. Okay? And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take it. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same manner also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you what? Proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So he's saying take bread and after you give thanks, break it and remember that this bread represents the body of Christ that was broken for you. All right? Now, why was the body of Christ broken for you? It was broken in order that you may receive healing. Because the Bible says by his stripes, you were healed. So when he was striped, his body was broken, wasn't it? When he was pierced, his body was broken. And it says it was broken so that you may receive healing. And it says do this in remembrance of me. Use it to remember what he did for you. So what you do is you take the bread. You say, Father, I thank you for Jesus. This bread represents what Jesus' body, what he did in his body for me. His body was broken for me that I may be healed. So you break the bread. And as you are eating it, you are saying to yourself, this, this bread represents the body of Jesus. As you are receiving the bread into your body, you are remembering what that broken body represents. And you are quoting the word. You are quoting every verse that talks about what the broken body represents. And you are saying that as I am receiving this bread into my body, 
I am receiving this revelation of what Jesus has done for my body. Does that make sense? So it is a time of meditation. And it's powerful because you are using an article, a physical article, um, in your mouth. You are engaging with it and you are thinking about what it represents. Yeah, You are filling your heart with the truth of God's word. In like manner, it says the cup is the new covenant. The reason why this cup, a cup is a container, isn't it? Now, it says the new covenant. This cup represents the new covenant in my blood. In my blood means that basically the blood of Jesus was shed. So it's a legal document. So this cup represents the legal document of the new covenant that the blood of Christ has put into force. The reason why we always put something in the cup is because the covenant is not empty. If a relative dies and they say that they have a, a testament, like uh, a will, the will is typically not empty, unless they're very poor. The will has things in it, houses, lands, cash, that they have willed for different people. Okay? So this cup represents the New Testament, and the reason why it is full of something is because the New Testament is full. So when you drink of it, you are emptying the contents of the New Testament into your own body. You are saying, everything that Jesus did is mine. So as you drink it, you are saying that as I'm drinking this covenant, anything that Jesus put in the covenant for me belongs to me. Then you begin to quote those things that are in the covenant. Yeah? I have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. I have access into the presence of God because the blood of Jesus has justified me in the presence of God. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. And as you are drinking it, as you are drinking it, you are remembering what he did. He says, as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you do show, you demonstrate the Lord's death. The way we demonstrate his death is by walking in the fruit of what he has given us. We don't demonstrate Christ's death by saying, oh, he died, he died, and we're all crying. The way we demonstrate is by, is by walking healed. That's the way we demonstrate that Jesus died. By walking healed, by walking righteous, by walking holy, by walking in everything the covenant has made available for us. Jesus said, do this often. Do it often. Remember what I have done for you. Don't let anything I provided for you stay on the table. It's for you to live and experience. It cost Jesus a very high price to purchase our healing. So as we break bread with understanding, it is a great time to walk free from the domination of darkness. It's a great time. It's a great time. Because you are filling your mind with what he has done. Hallelujah. Now, we're going to break bread together. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to lead you through a confession of the word. I'm essentially going to uh, take you through an example of what you should do when you're breaking bread. And, and, and after we break bread, we'll get into a time of worship. And if you like hands laid on you, if you want me to stand in agreement with you concerning healing in your body, just step forward. Hallelujah. And if you believe you are healed, begin to act on it. I don't care what you can do. Just begin to act on it. Begin to act on it. Begin to act on it. If I'm healed, then I can act on it. Because I believe it. My belief is demonstrated by my action. 
Look to Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of your faith. He is your healer. Say, Jesus, I believe that what you did on the cross for me was complete. I believe that you carried this sickness and you carried this disease. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.